Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Hello, health seekers. It's John Harrison with Dolmacha. Looking for green tea powder to add to your hot and cold beverages, smoothies, and shakes? Dolmacha Matcha Green Tea from Japan is a great choice grown on our farms in Kagoshima and Kyoto, Japan, where matcha green tea originated. Dolmacha great tasting, good for you. Dolmacha brand matcha green tea you can use every day for that nice pick-me-up without the jitters of coffee. Try our Dolmacha brand matcha green tea. See for yourself how much you enjoy it. This is John Harrison. Thank you for your time. 1050 AM. Don't forget that number. And for you young people who got here by accidentally fat-fingering your FM band selector, we're an AM radio station, and AM refers to more than just the time of day. This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. LegacyFoodStorage.com New U.S. sanctions on Iran took effect today. Six months after President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the international nuclear deal. The sanctions target Iran's shipping, financial, and energy sectors, all key to the country's already struggling economy. The bombs, which the FBI referred to as improvised explosive devices, were sent to the FBI's bomb laboratory in Quantico, Virginia. We're in Mexico again tonight as thousands of migrants try to find a faster way to the U.S. border. The White House says it's now getting help from the Mexican Breaking news out of Pittsburgh, the man accused in the shooting at the uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh is pleading not guilty, and he also wants a jury trial. You can see he's facing a 44 counsel. In the final seconds before the Boeing 737 MAX crashed into the water, it was traveling at more than 500 kilometers an hour. All 189 people on board were killed. You've now entered the House of Mystery. Crime, conspiracy, history, and science. With your hosts, Al Warren, Mike Brown, Julie Saab, Michael Butterfield, Dr. Joseph Usinski, and Michael Hawley. Heard on KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 105.0 AM Palm Springs.
Okay, you can hear my dog snoring. We're back. Your dog is snoring. Poor Odie. No, it's <laughs> Odie. He's the big guy. He doesn't snore. Oh, the little the chihuahua. little seven pound chihuahua snores like she's a sailor. Wow. <laughs> she thinks she's yeah. I don't get it. Seven pounds and she snores like she's like like a big burly man <laughs> drinking whiskey. Oh well. No, it's just crazy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, as long as we don't do that with uh, when we have guests on, so they don't think that we're falling asleep. Exactly. What are you going to do? Just throw a blanket over so you can't hear? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'll figure out something. You didn't hear that? Yes. She's crazy. She's at <laughs> that. You would never believe that's a seven-pound chihuahua. Yeah. My God. She sounds like my friend's seventy-five-pound bulldog. <laughs> I never expected it. You know, you get these dog rescues, and you never know what they're going to be in. You know. <laughs> Crazy. You get a snoring chihuahua, that's the end of her. Yeah, tell you. Oh, so it's another day. Um, so, I, I, you know, Nice is one of my favorite cities. I I have never been to Nice. I've been to Paris, and I've been to Versailles, but I have not been to Nice. Nice is great. Yeah, it doesn't sound, look like it's a great place right now, though. No, but I, yeah, but I can tell you, you know... Um, from Paris, uh, I know we took the train down to um, Rome and back up to Milan, and then we went over to Nice. Oh, beautiful. Were you there for Milan Fashion Week? Is that what's going on? Well, of course. I was one of the models. Ah. I was yeah. on the runway. You know? I can just see you mar marching down the runway in your crotchless underwear. Well, yeah. Maybe you did see it. It was uh, very, very <laughs> nice. Stunning. Heels. Big hair. So what happened to Nice that has made it sort of newsworthy? Well, what's it? Some sort of terrorist attack. So what, they beheaded a lady and a couple of people it's got like, knifed? It looks like three people were stabbed, yeah, to death. So, and they were screaming Ali Ali Akbar or whatever, that sort of thing again. Yeah. I'm not sure. I You know, I think everybody forgot about that, the whole ISIS thing uh, with everything else going on. Well, maybe that's why they're doing this stuff again. Because hey, nobody's paying attention to us, so let's let's distract the world from the already awful things that are <laughs> happening, <laughs> and just add to the add fuel to the fire. I guess and so. Apparently, France is on the precipice of a, a really delicate situation because they have the largest Muslim pop population in Europe right now, and. Uh, they're afraid to, people are afraid to educate their kids about normal things like, uh, you know, boys and girls having a gym together and going swimming. Apparently, uh, that is quite a big thing. And uh, educating children about uh, sexual education because um, a lot of people with strong Muslim beliefs don't believe that should be happening at all. So, yeah, it's a very, very weird situation there right now. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, I, you know, I, I don't even know how to attack that because, um, yeah, I because <laughs> they're they're quite a sexually free country. France, yeah. Well, Pepe Le Pew. I mean, look at that rapey <laughs> skunk. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Bugs Bunny's coming back on TV. Oh, it's not going to be as good. 
No, they're bringing back. It, it'll be the wa- most watered-down junk that you'll ever want to watch. You think Bugs Bunny will be worried about uh, um, the Roadrunner's emotions? Oh, I think so. And Wiley Coyote, uh, well, because it's interspecial, uh, it's interspecism. So Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner are going to have to be friends. It's that's just the way it's going to go. They have to have their safe space. <laughs> and how are they going to present Daffy Duck? Because he had a speech impediment. Uh, Porky Pig is right out. Oh God, nothing is going to work. No. Like, what is it going to be? Bugs Bunny is never, ever going to dress in drag again. I think he did it well. <laughs> he did. He was a sexy bunny. Like, but... Yeah, I know. Everything gets kind of changed. I guess it's not for us, so I guess it doesn't matter. It's for the young people. Well, thank goodness. But then they're going to think that's what Bugs Bunny is. I guess that's what Bugs Bunny is to them, you know. Yeah, that's really all that matters. I mean... You know, it's not about you anymore, okay? (laughs) It's not about me at all. It's not about you, so just, it's not about you. No. Stop it. Um, You know, I got my flu shot, but I didn't get it for me. I got it for maybe the little old lady who I come into contact with in the grocery store, you know? No, I got it for me. Well, you you need it because you... (laughs) You get really sick. Yeah, I'm a sick old man. But I uh, I got it. I, I didn't get the uh, old lady one. You oh, know, you like, didn't? No. They don't have the boosters yet because the uh, booster ones they give to, they sent them all to the uh, old age homes first. Now, the old lady one is the one with the, for pneumonia, correct? No, I've got that. But they have a flu and they have a flu uh, extra shot this year. Oh, okay. And the flu extras for people with bad immune systems and old people, like 65 or something and older. Mm-hmm. But uh, our pharmacist over here says they don't get them yet because they do the old age homes first. Well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that's fine. Yep, because uh, oof, I can't imagine the flu and COVID raging through an old folks home. That would not be good. No, like I said, you won't know which is which. You know, um, Australia looks like they're doing really well, hey? Mm-hmm. So far, so good. Yeah, New Zealand but, as well. But they're on that lockdown thing, so if you fly in, they put they tell you where you stay and everything? Yep, Japan as well. We've been looking at going to Japan, because like I mentioned, we have a friend there that we'd like to go over and visit. I have a, a few friends there, actually, and uh, we would like to just take a little trip and go visit japan but i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon especially because japan won't let anybody from canada through the, through yeah. the doors yeah. yeah yeah we got booted from europe too hey yeah you know until we get it i think we'll get it together pretty quickly they, they most people jump on pretty good here yeah uh, compared to some other countries that we won't mention but um uh yeah so i'm not too i'm not as worried but i you know what you have to realistically look at not doing anything for a year really yeah at this point really it's just not gonna uh by by the time they do get some sort of a vaccine and then test it and get it out to everybody you're looking at next summer or even later it's have to be realistic yeah there's not a lot happening for as far as travel goes right now and uh i'm at the point now where i can actually afford to travel (laughs) For the first time in my life, I'm very lucky to be situated the way I am. Yeah. But uh, I can't. 
I can't go anywhere. There's no one, nothing's open to me. Even my home province, Nova Scotia, doesn't want me right. unless I sit in some, uh, some hotel for 14 days, which is, does not sound like fun. So I can't see my folks either. Not unless it's a really, really good high-end hotel that they have a lot of features. Yeah. The feature would be, uh, there's a door on the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have three TV channels. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Internet's free from nine to five. <laughs> yeah, it's a 14, 14.4 modem. Yeah. So, it's like the old ones where you have to watch the picture download and you're, you're hoping. <laughs> That it's going to be something good. Oh no, that's oh. a that's a lady with a thing. Yeah, and that's yeah. how it is. Well, I mean, you know, you just gonna have to wait. Yeah, it'll, it'll all come together, you know. Yeah, and if not, well, there are worse things than waiting. Yeah, you know, like actually dying. So yeah, or you could be married to Donald Trump. Oh. <laughs> Oh, did, you see, did you see somebody, uh, Omarosa, came out and said that uh, Melania is repulsed by him sometimes? You know, it wouldn't surprise me. And, and some of her actions kind of do that. But who knows what goes on there, you know? Yeah. Um, and what was that? They had that double. Did you see those pictures of... Oh, did they have a Trump double? No, of, of her. They had a Melania double at when they went to the uh, memorial and some of the other things, and the pictures don't look like her. Weird. They would at a distance, I guess. Um, you know, sniper sniper rifles are actually uh, quite powerful now, so I don't know. <laughs> like, do they're really still doing that? Like, that's a Saddam Hussein trick, isn't it? It probably, you know, it's probably more along the lines of she's had a big meltdown and and won't go with him and he needs to um i think a lot of the press was saying well his family's uh, out you know campaigning for him but not melania oh it's like keeping up appearances kind of thing yeah and i think it was kind of a response to that because there were people saying well how come she's not anywhere with him she's never with him at any of these campaign rallies and yeah she's not in tour and yet the kids show up but how come she doesn't so i think that it kind of response for that all of a sudden they had him flying around with this woman that from a distance you if you were standing in the crowd you wouldn't know yeah uh, um but when you look at the pictures you can tell because the, the eyes aren't squinty you know <laughs> well you yeah. know she has that squinty well, look squinting you know? off into the distance thinking evil thoughts that's yeah. yeah 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 that zsa ja, ja gabor thing um she doesn't kill you darling <laughs> yeah 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 it's been too long Boris and Natasha. Yeah, yeah, that's what they look like. Do you think she's a Russian spy? You think Millennia is actually a Russian spy? I think she's a robot. She's not even real. Oh, like a, a fembot from uh, yeah. Austin Powers. That's right. With that's right. that had uh, rifles in their boobs. She's got uh, uh, teeth in her pussy. Oh, oh, what? Like the Borat movie? Yeah. Don't put your finger down there. It'll eat your finger. <laughs> I tell you, it's my favorite. <laughs> no, it's not. No. What a strange, strange show that was, too. I liked it, but I didn't like it, yeah. There were moments of it I could have done without, but oh, overall, it was pretty good. Yeah, he's funny. Um, I don't know. Just the whole thing is crazy. 
But, um, man, I guess we'll take a break and come back and, and have a guest. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Awesome. Are you prepared? Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go! Welcome back into the House of Mystery. We are the interview part of the show. Uh, joining us from the UK, we have author Mandy Brown. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, now, you've written a book um, called uh, Nipples to Kneecaps. Interesting name. Um, well, how did you come up with a name like that, first off? Well, the, the book is called Nipples to Kneecaps, To Die or Not to Die with Cancer. The Nipples to Kneecaps is actually reference to the fact that Many years ago, when you were get, went into hospital for a small operation, you were often shaved from your nipples to your kneecaps. And it was one of the little things that happened in the book early on that really surprised Steve. And we had a bit of a chuckle about because he'd only had his appendix out at that point. <laughs> yeah, he was shaved nipples to kneecaps. But then it also linked to the fact that later on, when we discovered um, that Steve was completely full of cancer, that effectively it was almost nipples to kneecaps in in that way so it's got two sort of meanings yeah um so okay let's let's start with you so um give some of your background uh before we get into the book itself um well i met steve when i was still at school and so obviously we've been together a long time which is which is brilliant i was originally a teacher a teacher of the deaf and Steve was originally a chef when I first met him, and then he became a sales manager. And that's sort of where we were at the beginning of the book, a very young family, very much in love, and we just had our first child. And I was on maternity leave when all of this, well, I, having had our first child, Alex, uh, when all this started with Steve being ill. Um, so that's just pride, pride, pride before the book. Well, let, let's talk about the basic premise of the story. Um, so expl explain the main detail of, of the book to start with. Well, when Steve was, was 25, as I say, um, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. This was in 1986. And the way sort of it, it happened is... Um, <laughs> There's a little bit of a backstory to it, but generally, for, for me, the whole story starts, and, and this is where it starts within the book as well, when I went to see the consultants, and bear in mind, at this point, Steve had been very ill for about a year, 
in and out of hospital with no understanding as what's going on and why he was so ill. Anyway, I went to see the consultant and eventually this consultant who'd just done an operation on Steve um, leaned over to, to me and these were meant to be reassuring words. Basically, it was a bit of a in one way. He said, you know, Steve has best. He has got three months to live. But we will help him to die as painlessly and as peacefully as possible. That's what we were told. So that was, you would think, quite a, quite a shock to me, <laughs> uh, to everyone. The Christmas before, which was Alex, our little one's first Christmas, Steve had actually said when he was in such intense pain and spent so much time in hospital already at that point, you know, if this is cancer, um, I'm going to give up because it's just too painful. So I got that in the background. The other thing that happened was the consultant, as he was telling me that um, they'd done all the tests, tests, they'd done all the, they'd opened Steve up and had a look, he was full of cancer, they just sewed him back together um, and just thinking, well, this is beyond hope, he was completely full of metastatic tumours, what we call stage four. And I had had a little bit of, um, I, you may call it a premonition, but for me, it was my grandmother who had who had died, he'd come to me a couple of nights before and told me that Steve had got cancer. So that night when I realised, so Steve was lying in hospital, if you can imagine the scenario, he'd had, he'd been opened up, they'd had a look at him, they found he was full of cancer, closed him up and said, too late, it's just far too late, this young man's you know, going to die. And I was lying in bed at night and I heard this voice saying, yes, he's definitely got cancer. And I cried my eyes out because that night I realised here I was a young mother with a baby, not not even one. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I remember sitting up in bed after many hours and suddenly going, whoa, stop. What am I doing? Oh, my gosh. I am crying for me because I didn't want to be a mother left on her own without the person, the partner she loved. And I suddenly realized that all of this crying and tears was an absolute waste of my energy. And I literally declared to the walls, <laughs> you know, OK, that is it. Enough. I am not crying anymore. I will cry if and only if Steve dies. Uh, I'm going to channel that energy into something else. So I then started to formulate a plan, uh, which was a very unusual plan. And that included things like banning my own mother from seeing Steve and his, his grandma because they couldn't see Steve without crying uh, because he, he looked so ill and indeed he was very ill. So when I did go and see the consultant a couple of days after this um, happening, I, I was a little bit prepared. I'd already got a little bit of a plan in mind. So I went along to the, the consultation. So when the cons, you know, he sort of said these things to me that, you know, this is the end. There's nothing we can do, but you know, we'll help him to die peacefully. Um, I, I was there and I said, no, and bear in mind, I was only sort of 25 myself. Um, and I, I was like, no, you know, with all respect, you might be a fantastic. However, I want a second opinion and I knew exactly who I wanted. Um, and the other thing that he did, he'd actually given me this three months deadline and said he's got three months at the most. And I made a decision that day, uh, and that was that I was not going to tell anyone else about this three month 
month deadline or death sentence, as I called it. So the only people who knew was myself, Steve's parents and my parents and everyone else was not going to know that. So a couple of days later, when I went down the ward to tell Steve that he had terminal cancer, um, you know, I sort of walked down the ward and Steve was very surprised to see me. And I sat on his bed and I said, OK, we finally know what's wrong with you. And I said, remember that thing called Hodgkin's? And he went, oh, yeah. And I said, well, it's not that. <laughs> we, we'd hoped it was because at that time there was a little bit of chance of treatment. So he said, what is it? And I said, well, it's, you've got, can you know, you've got tumours. What are tumours? I said, cancer. So he, he sort of said, oh, he said, um, I thought the nurses had stopped talking to me because they thought I was going to, to die. Um, so I just smiled and um, he didn't ask me how long he'd got. But he went very quiet once I told him that, yes, you have got cancer. And I said, but I'm going to have immediately after I've spoken to you, Steve, I've got two people coming to see you. This was part of my plan. And they were these two people. And, and bear in mind, in the 1980s, finding people who survived cancer was very, very difficult. But I'd found two people who'd survived and were still alive. And they were coming in to have a chat with Steve. So that was already starting the, the, the plan um, going. But Steve sort of stood there when I told him and he went very, very quiet. And he just said, well, I've got three things I want to do with my life. So I said, OK. And he sort of held up three fingers and said, number one, I want to grow old with you. And number two, I want to see our son grow up. And number three. And this one completely floored me because I thought I knew Steve. He was me going, I know what Steve needs. I, I know what we're going to do. And he then said something which I was like, pardon, what? <laughs> and he said, number three, I want to be a fencing champion. And I'm like, but you don't even fence. What? <laughs> and he said, oh, well, many years ago when I was a, when I was at school, a, a guy came in, a, a supply teacher, and he did fencing, and I was absolutely, I loved it, and I'd like to be a fencing champion. I didn't know about this secret desire. I did now. So that's one of the reasons you'll see on the, on the cover we've got some foils. So, you know, these were his three wishes, and, you know, th th those three wishes were, were things that kept Steve going as well. And he did become, as, as you'll find out in the book, he, we did take up fencing, um, that in itself was an, an, an interesting time, <laughs> taking someone who, who was very, very ill at fencing, but um, it's one of the things that we did do. So, um, so if, if, uh, help me understand here. So, um, uh, so you find out that um, they're saying he's got three months to live, he's got cancer, or they're going to help him die as comfortably as possible and, and, and all that, but you in your mind now, you're, you're going, well, uh, I've got a plan. I'm going to do something. So what what exactly were you thinking you were going to do with your plan? Like having people to talk to him and and uh, the, 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 the mother's not coming because of crying and all that stuff. So what was going through your mind at that moment? Well, I think um, at that moment, I I knew that I had to channel all of the energy that I was feeling, all of the emotion, the raw emotion, the pain, the worry, the concern, the fear of being alone, all that sort of stuff. I had to channel it into a more helpful energy, if you like. Um, I was 
I mean, one of the things that also happened was when I was sitting on the bed with Steve that day and he said his three things. Remember I said about me not crying? Well, right. Steve, and this was one of the things about Steve and I being quite so in tune. He actually sat up in bed and he looked at me and he said, if you don't cry, I won't cry. So that was a pact we made. Okay. And then I did say, but if you're in intense pain, because at this point he was in intense pain, you know, I said, it's okay to cry for intense pain. I know what he's talking about. We're not going to cry for self-pity. Right. For those sort of things. So that was a little pat we made about the not crying. Um, and, and, and then I, an example of, of what then sort of started to happen is if you can imagine, Steve hadn't literally got out of bed for a month or so because he was so weak. You know, he's a, a normally a strapping six foot two guy. Um, we did martial arts, we did dancing and, you know, sort of a very fit man. And until this happened. And now I'm looking at a person in the bed who was, you know, he'd, he'd stopped getting on the scales at about nine stone, I don't know what those kilograms, but um, he was a very frail, young, very thin young man. When I looked at him, I could already begin to see the bones through the skin. So uh, there he is in the bed and not being able to move, hasn't got out of bed for, for days. And when I sort of said to him, right, we're going to have um, Reg come to see you and Jamie come to see you and they're going to actually share with you their mindset their attitude as to how and what they did and we knew he knew Reg because Reg was um, my physiotherapist at the time and Reg had been given uh, he'd had stomach cancer and he had decided mind over matter was what was going to keep him alive incidentally Reg is still alive today just as an aside. But anyway, so that was an example of the sort of person that was I was going to get to, to see him. So at that point, then Steve said to me, OK, um, you know, how, what, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I've got to go now because it's not supposed to be visiting time. And Steve said, well, I'll get out of bed and walk you to the door. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're going to walk me to the door. So he, he stood up and the nurses came running over because he was a very ill man who could hardly stand. And he wanted to walk his wife to the door. And my dad was waiting outside. Um, and as he sort of walked me to the door, the nurses rushed over to obviously help him. And he, he turned, turned sort of back to them and sort of in Steve's jokey way, um, so he said, uh, you know, no, 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 yeah, it, it's okay, it's okay. And I go, oh, well, yeah, it's very cold, because then we open the door to the hallway where the cold air from outside rushes down the corridor into the ward. And they'll go, oh, and he turned around and just sort of looked at them and said, well, am I going to catch my death of cold? I thought, okay, we've got humour here. Steve has found his humour again. He's going to work with this. So humour became one of the things. So we decided that as soon as we got Steve home, that we were, get, we were going to do things like uh, we banned the TV news, for example, news programmes. We didn't watch anything that was sad or uh, argumentative or anything in a more negative vein. We only watch comedies. We had loads of music throughout the house all the time. When people did come to visit Steve, the rule was you can come and visit Steve, but no crying, no, oh, I'm really sorry, uh-uh, etc., the rule was you come and you visit Steve and you tell him all about your life, what fun you were having and how fantastic life is, because that's what we want to know. We want to see life carrying on while we are sorting ourselves. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. So that was another thing. Um, but then as time went on, the plan grew and grew. But... One of the things that happened is, remember I asked for the second opinion? Right. Right. Well, this this other doctor, there, and the reason I found this Dr. K who came with a second opinion was because the other gentleman that I'd found that had survived despite all the odds, this was his consultant, which is why I asked for this particular one. And Jamie said to me, you know, Dr. K will treat you, especially if you're young, up to your dying breath. So it's like, that's the one we want. Um, and so he came to see us, and there's a, a scene that's sort of etched in our memories, really, of this, this doctor coming and standing at the end of bed. Now, bear in mind, I've told Steve everything I know, except for the three-month deadline. And he's standing at the end of the bed, this doctor, this doctor kitchen, and he is uh, looking through the notes. And we are saying, OK, so um, Steve goes, so when can I start treatment? And he's looking through the notes. Bear in mind, the other doctor had said no treatment possible. When you looked at Steve's x-rays, the radiographers were like, they, they called everybody round to have a look because he was so full of tumours. They actually came and said, my gosh, you must be in incredible pain. And he was, you know, he's on loads of morphine to try and cope with the pain, but it was incredible pain because he was so full. They were really pushing and squashing all of his organs out of the way. So you can sort of understand why a doctor, you know, once said we can't possibly treat, it's just too, 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 too far gone. Right. So here we are with this Dr. K at the end of the bed and he just stands there and he looks through his notes very slowly and the time's ticking. And I'm thinking, come on, talk to us. Tell us what you're going to do. And he just goes, no, no, there's nothing we can do. And I'm like, no, no, there is, there is. And I'm thinking, what can we say to get this guy to try and at least try some treatment? And in the end, he keeps looking at the notes. And finally, he turns around and he just looks straight up at, at us. And he says, um, well, th- the problem is, is all the tumours we found, they're all secondary tumours. And back then, even from secondary tumours, unless you had the, the primary tumour, you couldn't work out what, you know, what was the best form of treatment. But anyway, everything they found was all secondary tumors so far. And so he said, just no idea how we can treat this. This is just impossible. So we're looking at him and, you know, Steve was like, well, surely there's something you can do. And he just looked at Steve and went, look, you know, if the cancer doesn't kill you, the chemotherapy will. And I hear my voice going, great, thank you, we'll take it. And he looks at me and goes, I've just said if the cancer doesn't kill you, the chemotherapy will. And I went, yes, but in that sentence, you use the word of a treatment. So let's go for it. <laughs> then he turned around and he's very, very dour, this, this consultant. I mean, but he turns around and he looks and he says, um, hmm, 
And I thought, when can, Steve goes, when can I start? When can I start? And he looks just at me, just looks at me. And he said, I can't offer anything for at least three months. Now, bear in mind, I'm the only one in that room that knows that three months is all they've given Steve. So at that point, another thing goes in my head thinking, right, I will just make sure that I nag you until you do that treatment before the three months deadline. And that's what I did. Okay, phony happens. Oh, Steve's doing really, really well. Can we start the treatment now? And he said, we can't start the treatment because Steve had been operated on and opened up. And clearly, when you, if you're trying to have chemotherapy, you can't have an open wound because then it won't heal. Um, so there was that little dilemma to get over. But uh, anyway, so let's sort of, we, we then get, go home while we're waiting for the three months before they'll even consider doing any sort of treatment, as he says, which will probably kill Steve anyway. But, you know, we were going. So we're home and we're thinking, well, what else can we do? And, and Steve started, all this was very intuitive. Okay, very, very intuitive. Now, through the last 30 years, when we look back, I understand why the things we did worked. But at the time, it was pure intuitive. And everybody around us, all the nurses, all the doctors, all the family and most friends, all could just believe that Steve was going to die. So it was really a world of just me and Steve saying, no, this isn't going to happen. You know, and Steve said, I'm not going to die with cancer, which is one of the reasons the the title is to die or not to die with cancer. He said, I'm going to have to die sometime, but I'm not going to die with cancer. So that's one of the reasons for that title as well. But anyway, so we were there and uh, we decided, apart from all those other positive things, that Steve started a mantra. And the mantra was that every night before he tried to go to sleep was he would say, tomorrow I will feel better. Tomorrow I will feel better. So that was one mantra. And then um, we then naturally, intuitively started what we what were visualizations. So Steve decided his visualizations, he picked, for some bizarre reason, he picked the Prussian army um, as a visualization that there's a Prussian army inside him, inside him that were going to find all the tumors. And it was a very bloody scene that he provided where they're going to cut the tumors up and sort them all out and all that sort of thing. Uh, whereas mine was a, a more sort of gentle, maybe nursing one, where I was surrounding him a little bit like Florence Nightingale with with uh, beautiful light and healing. <laughs> but we had those those two things going on. But Steve would also curse at the cancer and shout at it for, at times. Um, but those visualizations were something that he did. And it, it wasn't until uh, a couple of months went by that we were obviously asking people for help we weren't um particularly religious or spiritual people but anybody who said oh i'll pray for him i said yes thank you very much please do that because i believe that prayer energy good thoughts etc would all help was better energy coming towards steve than energy that was saying oh he's going to die oh isn't it terrible isn't it awful because yeah, yes, it was. It was awful to see him in that state, but we couldn't afford to remain in that negative bubble. We had to be in a more positive bubble. So, sort of needless to say, we got to the, the just before the three months, and I'd phoned up the consultant of the the secretary of the consultant, and said, "Steve's really doing well. He's doing absolutely fantastic. He's really doing well. Uh, can he start the treatment? Can he start the treatment?" And, and literally about one week before the three months. <laughs> 
the consultant finally said, yes, OK, you can start some treatment. So we thought, yes, that's another part of the, the team coming together of everybody helping. So Steve did start chemotherapy. And when he came home from his first chemotherapy, I really thought, what have I done? Um, you know, because he, he now seemed, it didn't seem that it was going to be possible, but he now seemed worse than he was before. Um, <laughs> because now he was throwing up everywhere. So again, we had this, 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 this idea that, okay, every time you throw up, and Steve will say, and every time I go to the toilet, and every time I perspire, we would say, there goes some more of the cancer. And it, it became quite a little chant throughout the house that as you heard Steve throw up, there were little sick bowls all over the house. And as he threw up, wherever we were, whether it was myself, my father, my mom, Steve or friends, we would all chime. There goes some more of the cancer. And, and that's what we would say. So it was that type of thing. And then, you know, little Alex, uh, who was a real um, bundle of, of joy and energy, would want to climb on his on his daddy but daddy was obviously very very poorly um, but Alex would climb on and I remember one occasion I was in the kitchen and I could hear Alex laughing and then suddenly screeching in in horror and then I heard Steve laugh so I go running and thinking what on earth has happened and Alex has jumped on top of daddy who's had like one series of kit of chemo and he's he's found a new game because what he's done he's gone to pull daddy's hair and daddy's hair comes out in his hand so alex's new game is oh i can pull daddy's hair out let's pull daddy's hair out and he's having a way of the time pulling out daddy's hair and steve thinks it's hilarious but you know it, it's that type of attitude um that i suppose helped and steve and i continue to to play puns and um, you know, sort of puns on words and, and have little jokes and laugh and try and find something good in everything and funny in, in things. Um, so that was another part of the, the, the plot, the plan. And then I think as, as time went, went on, as I say, they did start to give him chemotherapy. And we also had, as well as prayers and healing and things like that, we then had, um, we were offered something called spiritual healing. Again, we went, yeah, whatever, we don't mind it. I don't really know what it is but yeah come along and this wonderful little lady came along called Doreen and, and her sister Dawn and they came to the house and gave Steve this spiritual healing afterwards I said to Steve what was that like and he said oh it's very relaxing that was all I got so I thought oh well relaxing is good relaxing is good that's what you need um so we we started to have that then we get to I think we're at about six and a half months now, and Steve is still alive. Woohoo! Uh, and we go to see the consultant, and I am 100% positive that the consultant is going to say, it's working, it's fantastic, it's great. But he didn't. He turned round and he completely floored us because he went, it's not working, the tumours are getting bigger. And that was a turning point because... Steve just sort of looked at me and I, I felt Steve slipping away at this point, you know, because bless him, he had fought and fought and fought for six and a half months now. He'd gone past the sell by date, you know, double the sell by date. So I went home and I thought, what do I do? Um, so I, I found Doreen and I told her the bad news and she said, I'll come over. So she came over and I expected her to go and give healing to Steve. But she said, no, 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 no. I'm going to give Steve a book. And she gave Steve a book and came down and said, I'm going to give you healing. And so she, she sat and she gave me healing, which I'd not really had before. And I think 
that really helped me. It gave me strength because it felt like I was sort of being wrapped in love. That's the only way I can explain it. And I think for for people in my situation um, that are in that situation now, they have to look after themselves as well. They've got to have that little bit of um, help themselves too, because that, that really helped me. And it was just after she'd finished giving me some healing, which was then I we heard Steve and he was swearing upstairs. So I thought, what's going on? So we, we go upstairs and there's Steve. And in this book that she'd given him, uh, it had actually given the dosage of morphine that you give. It was a book about healing and, and cancer patients. It was a, a book by Harry Edwards. And it, it was sort of saying that when a person with terminal cancer gets to a certain stage they have x amount of morphine and then there's a little bit of morphine that they up it a little bit just before they pass over steve was already way past that uh, that dosage mm -hmm. and he just went and now i don't do not advocate this this is just what steve did he just put his book down and went right that's it i am not going to take morphine any longer he'd been on it a year kind of inside the pain he said i'm all fuzzy i can't think i'm in pain anyway so i am stopping because i want to be able to think clearer so we then went through withdrawal symptoms of morphine <laughs> um, which was fun as you can imagine and steve's steve's hallucination you know he's being in tune with me i was talking about steve decided to hallucinate with the one thing that i absolutely test I'm sure they're beautiful little little creatures, but this was maggots. He decided he got maggots all over his legs and would keep saying, Mandy, Mandy, get the maggots off, get the maggots off. So here's me. I actually hate little squirrely, squiddly things. And I'm having to almost buy into his hallucination to push away these maggots that are on his legs. <laughs> so it's like, oh. But anyway, he got through that. And when we did go back to see the consultant a couple of weeks later, or a couple of months later, the consultant, number one, was visibly shocked that Steve actually walked through the door because he thought he had long passed and was in the earth by now. But here Steve walks in to go, hi, I'm still here. And now at that point, um, you know, he said, oh, by the way, I stopped the morphine. And he said, well, you know, the chemotherapy wasn't working. No, no, it wasn't. And so the doctor said, well, I might as well examine you. And he examined him. And to his credit, Dr. K, as we call him, Dr. K actually turned around and said, oh, my gosh, I have been a con you know, an oncologist for many, many, many years. And I have seen very few miracles. But this is one. This is a miracle. He said, the tumours are shrinking. So whatever you are doing, just carry on doing it. So we did. And that's what we did. And we carried on, carried on. And eventually we went back and it was like, that's it. There's no more tumours. They've gone. Um, so, you know, there were other things that obviously we did along the line. And one of them was we, we did every day, I suppose you'd now call it a meditation practice, Again, it was intuitive for us and partly guided by we were told there was this thing called the healing minute, which is every uh, night at 10 o'clock and in the morning at 10 o'clock. It still goes on now. It still happens now. Uh, healers around the world tune in and they either send healing, energy, thoughts, love, prayers, whatever out to be used for healing. And the people who need healing can be there and they can receive it. So 
we did that every day as well and we had a little group of friends that would usually come and sit with us and we'd all sit and we'd meditate we didn't have a clue what we were doing <laughs> we were just belief and it was our way of i suppose helping steve and doing what we can do to to give that love and energy and i, I do believe that I, in the 30 years that have, have gone i have different understandings of what was happening so yeah so that was the other thing we did mm-hmm. so at the uh, so when you wrote the book mm-hmm. and and someone takes this home and reads it now yes. um what is it you want them to get out of it like what what is the the major point or mm. idea that you want them to walk away with i think the major point is if they are ever faced with what seems an impossible challenge whether that is a terminal illness diagnosis or some other devastating disease or any other um horrible thing that you know sort of has happened to them which seems an impossible situation and they feel they're never going to get out of it or they can't they won't have the strength or ability to get out of it i hope that they can remember steve's story and draw on our strengths that we had within that book and draw on what we did and and realize that if it's possible for one person steve it is possible for them so i i want it to be a book of hope and inspiration that a person can as i say draw on and remember the story over the years we've told the story to so many people family friends people we've met and time and time again it has been lovely because people have come back and they've said you know you told me steve's story yes and they will say i ended up my sister had cancer or i have cancer and i remembered steve's story and it helped me be positive it helped me take back control of my body because i think sometimes what can happen is when you're given a terminal diagnosis it's almost sometimes that people feel like they've got no control left but you have you've got control over what happens to you that is not to say um Steve and I have, have since then we've worked with cancer patients almost all our life now so obviously in that time we've seen many many people despite the odds survive and um uh, live full and healthy lives but equally we've seen people who it was their time and they have they they have they have died they they've passed on in my own father my uncle uh, included in that but what i can say when we've worked with them in the way that we work uh that their passing has been one of of peace and readiness that's the only way i can say it but steve clearly wasn't ready and all i can say that i we share steve's story and know that it has in the past given people inspiration to fight their own battles whatever those battles are that then that's that's what my hope is that it will help them give them give them that confidence to to take power of what happens in their life and to maybe stand up sometimes and say no actually I'm going to do this or I want to do this so do you think the um the um strongest thing um to, that that you used to fight his cancer was your um more your inspiration more your um what you had more than anything that the doctors could do um i i like to say that it was a team effort um 
I know when we had we had a surprise party for Steve at the very end, um, you know, once he was all clear and we invited everybody, all our friends who'd supported us, all our family, but we also invited all the nurses and the doctors and the physios and everyone. And, and I feel that it's almost a holistic thing. We work together. Um, however, I would say, and I know I've asked Steve many times um, you know what he thinks it was and, it, and he would say it was our now we use the word mindset but at the time we used our intuition and our belief it was our belief in each other that even though everybody around us uh, believed that it was going to die and I understand why but we had a knowing and we just went no we we there's a lesson here for us there's something we need to do let's work on this and and we kept that positivity um, so for us, I suppose it, it, it was understanding. There's another aspect of this is that I also believe from a very young child that we are eternal. Um, and that is something that I have a knowing about and I can't really explain too much in, in this interview. But it is a, a knowing that we are eternal beings and there is something within that that also I was able to draw on and, and use. But, yeah, um, Steve would say that it was changed anything. And he, he laughs and says, yeah, the pain, <laughs> but apart from the pain, he said, no, I wouldn't have changed it. And that's really odd for someone to hear, you know, who would willingly say, oh, yeah, I have cancer. Ew, what? But what he said was, the reason that you know we wouldn't change it is because we learned such a lot. We learned a lot about ourselves, and in one way, we were very blessed because all of the other things that were going on with life were taken away, and we were able to concentrate on what was important, and that was love, in a way, um, and family, and 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 being that unit. And in one way, we really value that time that we had, that very special time we had which I would call that almost soul-to-soul -soul time. Uh, that's very important, and that's what I mean about being eternal. It gave us that that lesson of learning. We learned a lot of things, and it, it did change our lives. It, it did change Steve to a certain extent. You know, he's never suffered fools gladly, he'd say. Um, but also, we will, you know, what we then went on to teach our children about believing yourself, believing yourself and everything is possible, you know, a life... Um, a life lived in fear is a life half lived, things like that. So it's about then going on and really enjoying and embracing life. Life is meant to be fun. And I think we we knew that even when Steve was going through the worst of the cancer and, you know, things were happening to him. Uh, but we just knew that life was meant to be fun and we could get through it. So, yeah. Hmm. So um, now where can people find out about you the story and more about uh, the book well the book is on amazon and obviously mm -hmm. called nipples to kneecaps to die or not to die with cancer by mandy brown so you can buy the book on amazon uh, you can also uh, go to my website which is www.nipples2kneecaps.com or mandy brown uk but at the moment it still goes to nipples to kneecaps.com um, you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, again, this Mandy Brown author is my Facebook page. Great. And um, I've also got a YouTube channel, um, Mandy Brown author as well. 
uh, YouTube and I've got quite lots lots of little um, clips that I've put on YouTube like two minutes long uh, of why we've written it what we think about healing um, uh, little snippets of re reading out of the book and the questions that people ask me, I've sort of tried to do the answers then in the little videos as well on the video channel. Fantastic. We'll have that on our website as well. So Thank people you. listening can just find you in one click. Um, has everything been okay with the COVID for you? And, and are you worried about that being, uh, especially Steve, being through cancer? Um, well, no. I mean, Steve actually works in hospitals. He works in about eight hospitals. So he has, throughout the whole of COVID, been going in and out to all the different hospitals. Um, and so, no, we, we've been fine. Uh, our daughter also works in the hospitals. Um, and, no, we, we obviously take the precautions that we need to do. We're sensible and we're following all the guidance and guidelines. But um, generally, you know, we are keeping healthy. Thank you. Yeah. Hmm. And what's coming up next for you? Well, I've got a couple of books in pipeline. I've got oh. one that is um, called the Astral Projection Handbook, 101 Techniques for Out-of-Body and Astral Travel um, in, in a very handy A to Z format. <laughs> so that's the Astral Projection Handbook. The other book I've got is a book on healing, about the keys to healing. Because what we found is when we've been working with healers of, of whichever modality, sometimes the healers get hit ill and also we found with patients they're saying i'm doing absolutely everything that i'm supposed to do yet i still get ill what is going on so i try I, i've been looking into that and answering those questions and uh that's one one of the other books the keys to healing book is aimed at healers uh, practitioners and also aimed at people who are doing all the right things but they they need a little bit more guidance and, and help Hmm. And then the third big book, which is a long booking process. One of our children is um, deaf, blind and autistic. And often when he was growing up, people would ask us, well, how do you communicate with a deaf, blind child or deaf, blind? What do you do? And through his life, we have had a lot of challenges. And not all of those challenges have come from the disability. They've actually come from people's perceptions around him. And also the system. We've had to fight the system, um, you know, to get the correct education. There were times when he ended up with no school because there couldn't be a school that was found and he had to be home educated. There were times when as he became an adult and he wanted to be this independent young man, we were always told he would never be able to talk. But we were determined he might not be able to speak, but he would certainly be able to communicate and communicate. He can, um, which which is wonderful. But as he then became a, a young adult who wanted to be semi independent, he ended up in supported living. And unfortunately, on more than one occasion, uh, he suffered abuse at the hand of carers. And. You know, there was one, one day when he came home and he just sort of signed and said to me, Mom, I want it to stop. And I'm like, want what to stop? And he goes, uh, and he's very sort of innocent in the way he said, he explained it to me. He said, oh, I, I'm, I'm being thrown against the wall and I, I'm, I'm really scared and I don't like it anymore. And that they keep ripping my jumpers. But it's OK, Mom, they buy me new ones. It's fine. And we were like, what's going on here? 
so you know it was that was part of the journey but then a lot of things have happened to him and I again I'm I wanted to help other parents and families who have a child with um, you know a child that's slightly different needs and that are fighting the system and fighting other people's opinions and views and discrimination and all that sort of stuff but again we did it in a very um, positive way so that's another book and that's he, he will never he will never talk is another one but that's taken me a long time to write because it gets quite emotional mm. with some of the ups and downs you know the abuse and things that happened to him mm. well that's amazing this is this is great so um again we'll have everything up on the website uh, we really appreciate you coming in and, and and talking about your book um our guest has been mandy brown thank you for being here thank you very much prepared legacy food storage the best way to protect your family is by being prepared go now to legacyfoodstorage.com use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off quick go more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. For more local radio every day, tune in to KCAA Loma Linda. Listen up, folks. Work injuries can be devastating and life-changing. If you were injured at work, you probably have a lot of questions. I'm attorney Daniel Rudbari, and I represent injured workers. Call me for your free consultation at 800-325-1454. I'll answer your questions and advise you on how to protect your right to make sure you get the workers' compensation benefits you may be entitled to. 800-325-1454. 800-325-1454. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. Hello, health seekers. It's John Harrison with Dolmacha. Looking for green tea powder to add to your hot and cold beverages, smoothies, and shakes? Dolmacha Matcha Green Tea from Japan is a great choice grown on our farms in Kagoshima and Kyoto, Japan, where matcha green tea originated. Dolmacha great tasting, good for you. Dolmacha brand matcha green tea you can use every day for that nice pick-me-up without the jitters of coffee. Try our Dolmacha brand matcha green tea. See for yourself how much you enjoy it. This is John Harrison. Thank you for your time. Have you ever thought about...